Happy Monday morning, podcast listeners. Welcome to the LPP podcast. LPP is the Life Process Program, an online, non-12-step counseling program for people with addictions, and not only to drugs, but to any number of non-drug involvements as well. You're listening to a weekly segment called Monday Morning Ammunition, some educational information in 10 minutes or less that you can use as ammo to get through your week. To learn more about the Life Process Program or to access free addiction-related educational resources, visit our website at www.lifeprocessprogram.com or follow any of the links in the show notes. You can also text us at 802-391-4360. That's 802-391-4360. And yes, when you text us, it'll be a real person on the other end, ready to direct any questions or comments you may have about the Life Process Program, the podcast, or just addiction-related questions in general. Again, that's 802-391-4360. Today's segment is an excerpt from Stanton Peel's recent appearance on a Texas radio station called Cultural Baggage. It's hosted by a man named Dean Becker. We'll link to that in the show notes. On this episode, Peel discusses the simple truth that the vast majority of people outgrow their addictions on their own, without help, over time. And then he talks about how we can use that information to help the minority of people who tend not to grow out of their addictions. As such, he's discussing his and my recent book titled, aptly, Outgrowing Addiction with Common Sense Instead of Disease Therapy. Now, no further ado, enjoy your Monday morning ammunition. We are speaking with Dr. Stanton Peel. He's author of a brand new book, just hitting the shelves, I think, in the next day or two. It's titled Outgrowing Addiction with Common Sense Instead of Disease Therapy. I uh, want to say this. It's got an introduction uh, and some references to a couple of uh, guests that have been on the Cultural Baggage Show, including uh, Maya Salovitz and Dr. Carl Hart. And last week's guest uh, had a uh, recommendation for this book, uh, Mr. Ethan Nadelman, as well. I, I, I hesitate. I'm sorry I interrupted you there, Doctor. But I want... No, go ahead. Oh, I, I, I looked over your programs, and I saw Ethan. Uh, you know, I just had dinner with Ethan a couple of weeks ago. We're both in New York now. Thank him for doing that. Well, I yes, sir. Of I... all those people that you mentioned, <clears throat> uh-huh. well, uh, it's hard what... to believe. Oh, go ahead. I wrote a book called Love and Addiction in 1975, which, you know, people are always asking, is he still alive? And Love and Addiction, in general, people see that as a whole new route for thinking about addiction. And everybody you mentioned, Maya Salovitz in Unbroken Brain, talks about uh, Love and Addiction. Carl Hart and uh, Mark Lewis and Ethan Adelman, all three of them wrote uh what's called blurbs for my book. You can see their, them on the book. They all said really good things. And here's what Mark Lewis said. Bless his little heart. You were the pioneer. You put these ideas out there long before anyone else was thinking this way. These ideas continue to reverberate in the addiction world and influence many people, many besides me. They are proliferating, surging rather than evaporating. And let me tell you what those ideas are that I, if I've either introduced or popularized or made aware uh, in the community that addiction is not limited to drugs. No. Drugs don't cause addiction, and this, people still have a hard time coming to grips with it, but the Diagnostic Manual of the American Psychiatric Association doesn't call any drugs 
addictive or dependence-producing. They've gotten away from that terminology. But the word addiction does appear in this volume called DSM-5. They call it behavioral addiction. And if you look me up in Wikipedia, what they say is that I discovered or invented the process model of addiction. I think they mean, well, Stanton Peel says that you can become addicted to something that's not a drug, but that's, that's not accurate. People become addicted, as we describe in Outgrowing Addiction, through a process of turning to an experience produced by an involvement. And drugs are a pretty good way to get that kind of experience. They're very predictable. If you inject heroin or snort cocaine or smoke, you're going to get your onset of the experience pretty rapidly. But that's not the addiction is to that experience in relation to the rest of your life. As you turn to it, fundamental gratification and become less connected to the rest of your life. And the good news in outgrowing addiction is, contrary to what is told all over this universe, Dean, do you think most people outgrow addiction? I, I believe nearly all people do. God bless you, Dean. You're on my... Besides having a title like cultural baggage, that last statement puts you in my permanent hall of fame. <laughs> Nearly all people do. Over 90%. We do national surveys of people's lifetime of drug and alcohol use. We spend quite a bit of money doing that. Over 40,000 people are randomly selected and interviewed face-to-face. And over 90% of heroin, cocaine, marijuana, and alcohol-addicted people overcome it. The only one that dips a little bit below 90 is smoking. <clears throat> so... That's the second concept, aside from the idea that addiction is not limited or determined by drugs, the fact that natural recovery is the normal course of events, harm reduction is an idea that I've been endorsing and espousing since the early 80s. And now comes the harder parts that I'm still, so you might say, this is my, I'm giving you my resume. I've been promoting and been on the cutting edge of ideas that are still just popping up now. Natural recovery is only just now becoming, people are only becoming aware of it. And I've been describing them for, you know, I started writing Love and Addiction over 50 years ago. But here are the tougher things to know. Environmental factors, community, people's involvement and engagement in life are the most important determinants of overcoming addiction. And if we don't allow and encourage and enable people to do that, then they're not then we're gonna have more addicts all the time. And therefore I'll make a broader point, one I, I know you're in line with, to the extent that we have a deterioration of economic and community opportunities. Uh inequality is one of the major sources of addiction. It's not an accident that the highest death rates from opioids and suicide occur in counties that voted for Donald Trump. Those are people, (laughs) and in their cities, who are hurting the most as the way our society is organized, and they're the most likely to be addicted. But let me give you one last... um, I know our time together... Well, uh, let me interrupt you. Uh, I told you we're going to do 20 minutes, but uh, if you have the time... Uh, I'm going to keep you around for about another eight as we wrap up this show. Um, there's. Let me just tell you one tricky thing. I've told you that the greatest drug policy 
uh, reform efforts now are misguided. I'm with drug you there. Policy reform, drug policy reform people think that we can solve addiction by cutting back on pain pillows. I, I go to these conferences and people say, we're doing so great cutting back in prescriptions for painkillers. Uh, unfortunately, and in New York this is true as well as around the country, in 2017 they reached peak levels of death. And the same is true for medicine-assisted treatment. Let me be clear. I mean, something like Narcan can save lives. There's no question about it. And generally speaking, when people are on administered opioids, methadone, buprenorphine, and even heroin, they're unlikely to die because they're being under supervision. And yet, the places where uh, MAT are most ensconced are inner cities, and the death rate in the last several years around heroin has been growing there, despite the expansion of these programs. How does that work? Because if people are convinced that the only way that they can overcome addiction is by relying on a substitute, at some point, most of them are going to get off that medication. That's just the way life works. And then they're completely out of touch with their ability to regulate their own behavior to save themselves, and they're more likely to die at the end of that regime, of that medical regime. And so, to a large extent, my message is even the drug reform movement is bought into the magical solution that addiction is a medical disease that can be solved by a medical treatment, including drug, either removing drugs or providing other drugs, and it can't be. So let me just end with one positive note and one other mention of what I've been talking about for the last 7,000 years. <laughs> the Drug Policy Alliance, I'm not at this conference, but I'll speak about it. The Drug Policy Alliance is having a workshop and conference series in San Francisco called "It's Alternatives to Coercion in Drug Treatment and Mental Health Settings. And uh, its dates are, I think, May 16th to May 19th. And let me just read to you the description of the conference. I don't know uh, the people describing this, but... Um, Today's treatment facilities too often mirror the cruelty of prisons and the asylum. In other words, the assumptions underlying it, I'm, I'm speaking now, that drugs are the cause of the problem as opposed to the institutional situation is the same on these treatment regimes as they are in the putting people in jail regimes. With little regard for the scientific evidence about what works, as Catherine Sellett, Celentano, policy coordinator of the Drug Policy Alliance. The same indignities associated with criminalization are too often reproduced by public health and treatment interventions that fail to prioritize consent, and I might say they also pri fail to prioritize the dignity and respect and self-efficacy agency of the human being. And uh, I, I, I do beg to differ with one part of this description. It says, um, this is the first conference where um, this topic is being discussed. It's a novel thing, but I want to point out my little history with drug policy reform, which you may know about, Dean, we may have run into each other. Yes, sir. In 1996, before there was a drug policy alliance, Ethan, my old friend that you interviewed, 
invited me to in, uh, debate Bob Millman, and my topic was the results for drug reform goals of shifting from interdiction and punishment to treatment. And here's what I wrote in 1996. Stan says that, that won't work. Expanding the treatment system will, one, expand what is already largely coercive treatment, serving as an adjunct to the criminal justice system, which means people are forcing the treatment all the time to drug courts. Two, they, this approach refuses to acknowledge non-harmful use and force mainly non-problem users into treatment. I mean, when you get people who are using drugs, you say, well, we must put them into treatment. Although most of them don't want or don't need treatment. Three, here's a critical thing. They serve, the treatment movement serves to divert social resources from the worst off people in our society and put them into these intensive treatment regimes that are not effective. And lastly, they have an overall negative outcome, impact on outcomes for drug users in the United States because they create the ultimate in cultural baggage that we can't, I mean, drugs are everywhere. People take drugs all the time. We're taking more and more antidepressants. We're taking more and more painkillers. Uh, we're taking more and more medications for bipolar disorder. Obviously, it's not hard to get, uh, we're, we're, marijuana is legalized. People drink all the time and they're now, alcohol is a high-end product. The better off people are, the more likely they are to drink. Escaping substances is not, and believing that substances control us, is not the route to either drug policy reform or to helping the individual. By the way, I want to mention one other thing. Um, my co-author, Zach Rhodes, also works with me in something called the Life Process Program, lifeprocessprogram.com, which is an online um, a, pro a, a coaching program for people with addictive problems. People overcome addictions or avoid addictions to the extent that they can become engaged in life, develop positive and productive activities, feel okay about themselves and deal with mental issues, form families and communities, and believe that they have the power, uh, the agency to avoid addiction, even when they are exposed drugs or even when they choose to take drugs, and most of all, that they deserve to lead a non-addicted life.